you know, that focus on really accomplishing your dreams and accomplishing your goals and, and building a, a bigger future for yourself, um, we're not taught that stuff. So having an expert and having somebody to, to guide you through that stuff is, is quite valuable. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode, episode 40 of the Steel Entrepreneur Show. My name is Adam Steele and I have Jay, I knew I was gonna screw this up, Jay Gangness. <laughs> Jay specializes in corporate tax planning, high net worth personal estate planning. His job is to increase your wealth and minimize the tax you pay while creating greater financial security and stability. Jay owns a top-producing, award-winning financial planning firm here in Vancouver, British Columbia. That's in Canada, for those of you in the United States. He's a new father, an entrepreneur, and a constant learner. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Happy to be here. I like to start these out. Yeah, I, I always start out by explaining you as I've come to know you and quite honestly just sort of based on my own research but how would you describe yourself sir? Um, well I think that uh, definitely an entrepreneur would be the number one focus for me. Um, always? Always? always yeah always an entrepreneur from even before I became uh, an independent financial advisor. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid was always looking for different opportunities different ways to to create value for people and, and to make money, of course. Yeah. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, really just focused on growth and focused on and family, of course, my new son. And um, six months, yeah. Six months, yeah. Uh, and enjoying, uh, you know, creating things in the world. Cool. Tell me about. Um, tell me a little bit about your business. I mean, I kind of touched on it, but I'm sure you'll do a much better job than I would. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, a certified financial planner. Yeah. My focus is, is very much on high net worth uh, tax and estate planning um, uh, with a focus on, on minimizing tax, maximizing the estate. Um, and really what we do is we, we run clients through a, a high level um, planning process that, uh, that focuses on not just rate of return. So, I mean, we're not just focusing on, you know, you're getting eight, we can get you nine. Mm -hmm. We're focusing on creating value from the planning uh, aspect and the planning landscape um, and, and taking advantage of, of the tax planning component as opposed to simply that you know, rate of return or, or lower fee uh, side of the business. Interesting. That's, I, I'm trying to think of my experiences with individuals like yourself, um, probably much lesser individuals, I should say, but uh, smart individuals none, nonetheless. And I, I remember uh, much of our focus indeed was on that rate of return. It was like, the, and, and when we were shopping around, it was, okay, who's going to offer us the highest sort of rate of return on, on, on what we were doing? And I, I don't remember ever, there wasn't ever too much of a conversation on, well, how is this going to fit your lifestyle? How is this going to fit your current setup, be it are you a business owner? Um, are you incorporated? Do you have a family? Do you have a mortgage? How much is that mortgage worth? Um, you know, so on and so forth. Is that kind of what you, what you sort of get into? Yeah, I mean, you know, our focus is, is much more driven by ensuring clients accomplish those goals, leaving a, la leaving a la lasting legacy. Um, 
And, and a huge component of that is tax planning. I mean, you know, the number one expense that everybody play, pays here that they probably don't realize is taxes. I mean, tax is a huge, huge uh, component of, of those monthly expenses, but oftentimes they're seen on the back end, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when people do their taxes as opposed to month to month. So uh, we, we look at that um, at everything that we do is pre-tax. So, you know, in order to have, uh, you know, $50,000, you have to earn $75,000. And, and we look at how we can integrate that corporate structure that you're paying only 13.5%. Uh, but the starting point of that is really focusing on your goals, focusing on your dreams, focusing on what you're truly trying to accomplish in your life. And then how can we integrate a high level of planning to accomplish that as opposed to simply, you know, let's get you a higher rate of return. Because I mean, the, the benefits of the tax planning can be up in the 30, 40% uh, side of the benefit as opposed to half a percent or 1% higher rate of return. Of course, we always want to get you that higher, highest yeah. rate of return possible, but um, I mean, there's 6,000 mutual funds. There's, I don't know how many thousand ETFs available now. Uh, so finding clarity and confidence within that marketplace is definitely a significant um, uh, value add that we provide above and beyond just, you know, fees and rate of return. How do you know when, um, let's, let's say, how would I know that I was sort of ready for this step? You know, let's say I, I own a business, it's incorporated, we're making good money, um, I'm looking at, you know, starting a family, I, I, you know, let's say I have a mortgage, what, what, what are sort of the boxes that I should be checking or the things that I should be thinking about before approaching uh, an individual like yourself or perhaps somebody who doesn't necessarily work with, you know, just or high net uh, worth individuals, but when does that when should that start when should I start thinking about that kind of thing yeah I think that um, you know really really day one once you start working and start earning earning income um, that uh, having What's day some, one like yeah like out of, out of university you okay, know looking really? at okay. uh, at getting into the the job world and looking at um, supporting uh, you know those goals and really what you're trying to accomplish a lot of times in that landscape the focus is more on I want to buy a house or you know, you want to start a family or you want to grow your career, those types of things. Um, but I mean, there, there's a huge disconnect between the, the access to planning and that, that side of and that age group as opposed to, um, you know, what, what the banks oftentimes are, are going to offer, right? So, you know, RSPs are a really good example. Yeah. You know, TFSA, stuff like that, that's what they're going to offer you. Um, Mutual funds. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, for a younger individual, somebody you know, early 20s, let's say they're out of school, their income is, is mm-hmm. quite low, they're just getting started. RSPs are not the best vehicle because um, they're not getting a significant tax deduction on those deposits and their income is likely going to, going to go up. So using a TFSA is a much more useful tool because you can always transfer that TFSA into an RSP later and get a higher deduction as your, as your income goes up. So just what little things the, like that. What would be the US equivalent of these types of in- instruments if you know? Uh, because I, there's probably gonna be some folks uh, you know, watching this from the United States, they're like, what the fuck is a TFSA? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, the a TFSA, I, I actually don't know the equivalent in the States, but I believe the RSP would be a 401k. Okay. I think, don't know so that. tax deferral um, instruments, you could call them maybe. Yeah, a t- tool that's tax deductible today and then taxable when you pull it out yeah. in retirement or in at a later date. Cool, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that was it. That I was think. it, all right. Can you give me, because um, I think, I think part of that barrier is also it's a barrier of understanding, and I think it's it's also I didn't 
I remember when I sort of I started approaching this sort of thing, it was after I'd kind of built up a little bit of kind of confidence that I might actually um, be ready for this sort of thing. Like, you know, let's talk about a life insurance policy or disability or critical illness or what have you, right? Um, that these are sort of the primary types of things I've explored beyond like TFSAs and RSPs and things like that. But for the longest time, I just, I was like, why should I have these things? Like what, like why should anybody even look at me for these types of things? Why would someone like you be even interested in working with me? And so that was a big barrier for me. I just like, I don't deserve these things right now. How would you propose somebody who's thinking like that kind of get over that and come and see someone like you? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think that that would be more of an internal type of, of thing to overcome, you know, being comfortable thinking that you deserve to have the, a better future yeah, and maybe accomplishing your goals. Deep there, and, but you, you get what I, I think you get what I'm getting at. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think that... Um, that, like you know, why shouldn't it be? Why 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 shouldn't it be so scary? Why why could it? Why is it not so scary? Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem uh, with that is that you know we're taught all these different things in school, like history and English and and you know mathematics and whatnot, uh, but nobody teaches us about finance and nobody teaches us about financial planning. So I think that there's a significant disconnect in that area where people have a, a you know not the best relationship with money, right? Where they think money is, is a problem or money is something that's stressful or something that is a negative thing that, that it's scarce. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that may be something that may come along with that, whether you're, you're ready or deserve or comfortable talking about those types of things. But, um, you know, that focus on really accomplishing your dreams and accomplishing your goals and, and building a, a bigger future for yourself, um, we're not taught that stuff. So having mm -hmm. an expert and having somebody to, to guide you through that stuff is, is quite valuable. Um, but I mean, it, in all honesty, our industry is quite broken because a lot of times it's, it's a sales force. The, the advisors are, are commission-based advisors. Yeah. They're looking to sell products as opposed to really client first and, and establish a, a bigger picture plan and, and um, uh, make sure that that individual is reaching their goals. This, I'm trying to, I guess this is kind of your opportunity to do a little bit of bragging, but it's also my my opportunity to sort of understand more of of what you do and sort of apply it to some of the things I already know. Can you walk me through what, maybe just give me an example of a client and how you helped that client? And to feel free to brag. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, the, there's a few different scenarios there, but uh, uh, one of the things that, that we focus on now that's a little different than we did five, 10 years ago is we, we start with cash flow. So um, the importance of cash flow is that the majority of people in the high net worth landscape that are earning a significant amount of, of money also have the capacity to overspend. Um, so our, our focus on business owners, they are going to have that corporate structure. So when you're spending too much money, you're also taking too much out of the corporation, mm -hmm. which leaves you susceptible to significantly higher tax bracket, yeah. of course, right? Um, so that focus being leaving that money in the corporation, taking advantage of the corporate tax bracket, which is 13.5%, as opposed to taking it out, which is 47.7 here in British Columbia. So you're saving over 30% by just leaving that money in the corp and doing your planning within the corp. Um, so to simplify that, let's say you have, you know, 
$100,000 sitting in the corp, you pay 13.5%, that leaves you with 86,500. If you take that $100,000 out, and let's say put it into a TFSA or invest it outside, you're actually gonna only have $52,000, right? So that there's a significant benefit to leaving that money in the corp. Yeah. A uh, good example of that is is we come across quite a few clients that have way too much money in their RSP. So, you know, they're- What's way too much? Million plus? Yeah, okay. it depends on their, on their you know, when they're planning to retire. It depends on really what their goals are. So it really is a customized scenario. But, yeah. um, you know, we've had, we've seen clients up in the five to $6 million range of, of RSPs, right? So, um, you know, the guy, for example, is, mid 50s, early 60s, still working, still taking a bunch of money out of that corporate structure. So good example of this, um, uh, we'll, use two, we'll use an example of 2 million because we sure. have a few clients that have had that $2 million age. $2 million of RSPs, they're paying themselves a $200,000 salary. What we would do for that client is we'd say, stop paying yourself a salary, stop putting money into your RSPs, and at 60, 62, 65, whatever their age bracket is, start drawing the RSP. So oftentimes the conversation with, with planners or with accountants, they want to maximize the deferral today and they want to maximize your RSP contribution. When you're retiring, the whole goal is not to have as much RSP money. It's just to have enough money. Yeah. Every dollar that is in your RSP is owned by the government to some capacity at a certain percentage. So you're essentially in business with, the, with CRA and they decide when you pull it out how much money that they're gonna own of that RSP. So what we would do then, start drawing down that RSP and try and get that money out of there at a lower tax bracket than you, than you are today, as opposed to deferring it to age 71. You would lose your old age security clawback, and so you'd have another 15% tax on that, um, and then leave that money in the corp and pay 13.5%, grow it in the corporation, build up a cash value within that corporate structure, and then create a significantly higher legacy for the family and uh, allow you to access some of that capital through leverage in the corp. So that's, that's some of the, I know uh, quite technical, but the higher level planning results of those situations are oftentimes a couple million dollars in um, uh, higher uh, death benefit and higher estate planning, as well as significant tax savings year over year within that uh, corporate structure and, and to, to plan in retirement. I suspect that's sort of the, the kind of thing that you come across pretty often, where it's just, you know, somebody has been coached by often their accountant, I'm sure, yep. to put money into that RRSP, to keep dumping into the money into that RRSP so that they, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the, it's their one play. Yeah. You know, it's their one and only play. Well, it's one of those things where accountants very, very simply are, are taught to maximize RSPs, generally speaking, don't get yeah. me wrong. There's, there's lots of good accountants out there that, that really are, are knowledgeable in the high level yeah. uh, planning landscape, but, maximize RSPs, but if, you know, if you're 69 and you have several million dollars in your RSP, there's no benefit to putting money in there. You're oh. just deferring it for two years and paying a higher tax bracket and losing your old age security. So if the planning's done properly, you can negate that, leave it in the corp and actually uh, end up with significantly higher. Another thing with RSPs is that, that all of them are taxed at death, at the second death. So transfer to your spouse, but the second death they're all taxed. So if you have a million dollar RSP and you're not married, your kids are only getting half of that, 52% of it. So it's all taxed. So if you leave that in the corporate structure um, and, and you roll that into the proper vehicles, you can actually enhance that significantly and also save a significant amount of taxes. I've got some, actually I'll ask it now, it's selfish a little bit, but I, I maximized my, I, I had not really 
bought any RSPs for a number of sort of even my sort of higher earning years. And I finally got around to it. I guess I had enough money to do it. And so I, I basically had like five years worth of RS, allowable RRSPs building up or whatever you're allowed to buy year after year, just building up, building up, building up. And last year I just bought it all. I maximized the entire thing. And I did the same for, um, um, for Ariel uh, to, again, just try and bring our, our taxes down. And so next year I'm going in with a much smaller allowable RSP contribution limit, we'll call it that, I guess. What should I be thinking about now? Like what's, ne I, it's just not gonna be enough. It's not gonna be a, enough to bring my taxes down enough that I'm not gonna feel like crap paying an incredible amount of tax. So leave it in the corp. Leave it in the corp. Yeah, so so definitely take advantage of the, the corporate tax bracket, 13.5%. But do you mean like, don't just pay yourself less is essentially what you're saying? So that yes. you have less to, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so I mean, you know, if you're if you're paying yourself a higher income and then getting that down with putting that money into RSPs rather than taking the higher income, you know, if if you're let's just use some fictitious numbers, if sure. you're taking out 200 and putting 50 in RSPs, just take out 150. Yeah. Leave it leave it in the the corp. Uh, the benefit of that is is the ability to grow that money in the corporation in tax efficient vehicles take advantage of something called the capital dividend account, which allows the tax-free flow through of, of uh, capital gains. So you can flow that out, uh, which is a, another problem with RSPs is you lose the capital gains benefit. So capital gains, which is stock and real estate, mm -hmm. are only taxed at 50%. So even if you, you know, if you have 100 grand, it grows to 200, you're only taxed on half of that money. Whereas you know, interest and dividends, you would pay the, the full tax bracket essentially. Dividends are a little different, but um, uh, with the corp, you can do the same thing. So you pay capital gains on that, but you get half of that out tax-free through the capital dividend account. So it's quite a quite a useful planning tool if the if it's done properly, allows you to get some money out tax-free and allows you to, to take advantage of that corporate structure, not paying the tax upfront. I guess the key is plan ahead. Yeah, plan ahead. Don't leave <laughs> it till tax time. Yeah, for plan sure. well ahead. I want to switch. Um, I want to switch more to the personal side. We talked a lot about about what you do. We talked a lot about some of the things that 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 your business offers. But I want to talk about kind of the journey getting there, getting to to where you are today, and then maybe touch on where exactly you are today. You were, uh, if I remember correctly, something like 23, and you were working for a brokerage at that time, right? Yeah. So I was I was actually what's called a captive agent. Um, we for... talked about that a little bit. Yeah, for it was called Clerica at the time, so okay. it's Sun Life, owned by Sun Life, okay. um, and I was essentially a life insurance salesperson in that uh, in that light. Um, you sold Clerica life insurance. You got it. Yeah. Got so it. that was two thousand and three, right out of school until two thousand and five. What what brings somebody at the age of twenty three? I'm trying to think of the folks that I knew when I was twenty three. Let me tell you, they weren't working for a life insurance company or as a salesman for a life insurance company. They were working for a restaurant or they were still in school. What, what the hell were you doing at a life insurance company? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I majored in corporate finance in school and okay. I had every intention to be... Uh, to be a stockbroker, which at that time was the much... You, you know, look like a stockbroker. Stock <laughs> yeah, much, much sexier side of the business. But, 
So, uh, you know, selling life insurance wasn't anything I knew anything about at the time. And, and I was golfing with my soccer team. And the manager of, of the agency that he worked at was golfing on the same golf course. So they, they phoned me Monday morning. And you can call it recruiting, but, I, you know, they, they'll phone anyone, I think, to, okay. to try and get them on board. Or, you know, I shouldn't say that. I mean, not anybody, but, you know, they're, they're looking to, to recruit, right? Sure. So it's I went to find in and good salespeople too. Yeah, of course. So I went in and, and really with a focus on um, dealing on the on the financial side, dealing on the mutual fund side, and, and quickly learned that Clerica, with uh, without when I first started without knowing this, that their focus was purely life insurance. Like their their goal is they're a life insurance sales force. So um, at that point, I really didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't even really know that there was any other companies in Canada that sold life insurance. Honestly, was that was that green. So uh, just just having that drive, there was a, there was a, a structure that you had to, to complete 25 transactions in the first three months to stay on board. So I was, oh, wow. so I was quite motivated to not fail at that. Sure. And then, um, uh, so I worked, worked there for a year and a half. And the first year I won the, uh, they call it the recruit of the year. So the, the first uh, top of, of sales in that first year in, in the industry. Um, and then uh, uh, started to learn a little bit more about that industry and, and figure out um, that there was in fact other companies that existed and uh, that you know some offered some, some valuable benefits that to really do the best thing for the clients, having the ability to offer several different companies was probably the best thing. Um, I also learned more and more about the compensation model and, and learned that, that Clerica Sun Life actually owned the clients. Um, so I wasn't truly an entrepreneur and building my own business and that was important to me. So, yeah. uh, at that point I chose to leave and, and really with minimal fear about it, mainly because I didn't know any better. I think, you know, if it didn't work out, I go back to mom's house and yeah. hang out in the basement until I figure it out. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was the, that was the main motivation for leaving and, and, um, the, uh, the, the thought process in terms of, you know, I see people now that I know with Sun Life that have been there for several years and. You know, they have families, they have other, other things going on. It's a, it's a much more difficult decision because mm-hmm. you're not just looking out for, your, for yourself. You have to take care of other people, right? So it becomes more difficult. Yeah, so you were in just sort of a very fortunate position that you had sort of uh, a bit of a, um, what do you call it, safety net, I suppose, which yeah. I can certainly relate to. Yeah, for sure. And you had no dependence. So it was just sort of the perfect time in your life to take that, uh, to take that leap. Yeah, for sure. When, um, what was the first six months like of taking that leap? What did that look like? So you quit, yeah. I imagine, and then you went off on your own. What was the first six months like? It was tough. Uh, I, 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 I'd be lying if I said I didn't second guess the, de- the decision several times. Um, but it was really just the determination to, to succeed and, and the hard work. I mean, I, there was no special sauce or anything that I, that I did. I just, you know, made sure I was out uh, doing something every day and, and working hard. And, you know, you, you do the right thing for people and you work hard. Good things oftentimes happen, I find. So that was kind of the focus and, and uh, just grew from there. How were you, um, I mean, I imagine you sort of hooked up with, so you, you became a broker from what I understand. So you were then able to sell different products. Yep. So what was the, what did the process look like of going to get clients? How did, how did you, how did you get your first client? How did you get your fifth client? 
Yeah, we uh, Clerica was was a little bit different because we did it, we we actually had a lot of training with it, mm-hmm. um, and with Clerica, you know, you track all your numbers and all the phone sure. calls you're making and and who you're visiting and you know making sure that you're yeah. focusing in the right areas and that kind of thing. Uh, as an independent, you're on your own, so it's a lonely world to start with. You don't with. have any lead lists or anything yeah. like that. You don't have anybody coming and and telling you to get to work if yeah, you're going lazy that day. You don't have anybody checking to see if you... Uh, I remember I had to get rid of my Xbox. I was yeah. just like, this shit ain't going to work. Yeah. So I just, I, I sold it and that was it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, client base, I, I did a lot of different things. I mean, you, you sent out letters. You, at that point, we were still cold calling. So we were cold calling clients. Um, How did you pick who you cold called? Uh, we would buy lists, actually. Okay. Yeah, we bought lists. I then hired people to do some, some telemarketing. Yeah. Uh, what else do we do? I don't remember all of it, to be honest with you. I, uh, it seems like a, a while ago. Getting a sales team running is one of the toughest things I think. I mean, it, I think once you do it, you're just like, well, that was, that was easy. But for whatever reason, there's this, I, I find that there's some sort of this, I don't know what it is. I just, it's been a, it's a, been a hurdle for me to, to, to find a salesperson put together um, sort of a, a sales funnel, a process for him to, to follow, figure out where he's going to get his leads, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it seems like that kind of just came, it beca- maybe because of the environment you were in at Clerica, um, it just was second nature to you. But how, how did you get to, I'm going to hire a, a salesperson and that person's going to start you know, hitting, the, hitting the phones? Yeah, well, we, we never really, we never, I wouldn't say we really hired, we outsourced it. So we didn't really okay. hire an employee to do that. Where did you outsource it to? Um, we, just a, a firm, like a, a telemarketing firm. Okay. Uh, and I, I Were they any remember. good? No, no, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> tell you that it was a huge success. Okay. Um, and but you we did were, it. Uh, we did, yeah. But we were phoning business owners as well at the okay. time. Uh, we, we had to focus also on group benefits. So we did health and dental benefit plans for companies at that time. We, we okay. still do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's not our main focus. Um, and then we'd, we'd work on, we'd work with the employees and we'd work with the owners. So we'd do the financial planning and the insurance planning for the owners and the, the employees after we had uh, got that group benefits plan. So that was kind of our, our process at that point in our, in our uh, uh, business. And, um, you know, really it just morphed into referral-based uh, uh, lead generation, uh, you know, networking and, yeah, you know, people you know and sure. you know, do a good job for people. That kind of thing is, is how, it, uh, how it worked. But, you know, it's, it's up and down. You have, you have a great quarter and then you haven't done much, much marketing, so you're back on the marketing. When you're on mm-hmm. your own, you're, you're on your own. You're the sales guy, the marketing guy, the, mm-hmm. the admin guy. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember in our first quarter of the year, we had record sales. It was fucking phenomenal. It was, it was more than we could deal with, quite honestly. It was February, March, April, and I, it started to do, basically dive in, in April. So, so busy just processing the, the business that was coming in. So I took the, took the uh, um, pressure off the accelerator with our marketing. Yeah. And then it's been just a slow climb back. I mean, we all, I, I have this problem where I'm, I only look at the month before or the month before that, right? That's how I'm comparing. If I were just to, to be smart and just say, okay, well, how about last year? Where were you last year? Yeah. I feel a lot better. But I get stuck in this 
you know, what was last month? Like, I have to beat last month. And if I don't beat last month or my best month previous to last month, that's, that's crap, right? Yeah. How do you think about that? Well, we've, we, I was definitely in that type of, of mind frame. You're always driven to, you know, exceed the previous quarter, sure. the previous month. And um, we look at, uh, I do a program called, called Strategic Coach. And Strategic Coach, they talk about the gap. So the gap is, is looking at... Um, Does that stand for anything? Nope, no, just, just the gap. gap. Okay. Yeah. So, so the gap is something that um, focuses on your, your progress, but they always want to focus on where you are today and measuring that from the past. So yeah. as opposed to measuring it from where you want to be. So when you're looking at this quarter, you want to be better from that quarter. But just like you said, if you look at last year, you're significantly ahead of that. So if you look at where you want to be, if you're driven, if you're successful, and you have a lot of things you want to achieve, you're never going to be in, in the winning side. You're always mm -hmm. going to be losing. It's a yeah. mindset type structure. So um, you, you reach a certain level, you're just off to the next level. You're not actually enjoying that win and celebrating that win and actually looking at it. Actually, we're doing really good. So if the number's a million and you're at 990, well, you're a heck of a lot better than the 600 you were at last year, right? Sure. So, you know, the focus on the... On Sounds the like you're looking more forward than you are looking back. Is that, yeah, is that for, correct? Yeah, for sure, right? And, and just measuring from, from previous results instead of measuring from where you want to be in the future. Uh, I mean, uh, this this last uh, kind of 18 months in our business is a good example of that because we've actually, you know, we, we had a really busy year with significant tax changes. So we had a lot of clients that we had to get in uh, to make sure they could take advantage of, of uh, you know, insurance structuring through a corporate environment sure. prior to Jan 1, 2017. Um, but and that's because there were some new rules that came down in, in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So CRA yeah. came in and, and made some changes to the to CRA the is our IRS essentially. Canadian Revenue Agency. So um, this quarter of this year, our focus has purely been on like zero revenue generation and really transitioning into, you know, what areas in our business can we provide more value for clients? How can we create a, a significantly higher um, value structure for clients where we're exceeding that um, purely transactional type structure? And, and so we've done a ton of, of different things in, in software and investments in education yeah. and and cash flow software and wealth planning software and um, and really integrating that into the business at a higher level than the, the ones we were previously using. Uh, but when you do that, your focus is on that. It's not not the marketing side, yeah. right? So, but I know. feel like long term, every, the it'll it'll the referrals will follow because if you're yeah. providing more value and doing a better work for people, they're they're more likely to refer you. So it's it is almost a, an advertising a marketing tactic in itself. I suppose. Yeah, no, for sure. But when you're doing it, you're you're definitely, you know, the quarter, the numbers for for the quarter, second quarter of this year especially, yeah. you know, they're they're significantly lower than fourth quarter 2016, right? You touched on strategic coaching and I, I was talking to um, I was talking to Maria, the um, how, how would you describe me, Maria? Uh, the the simple way she is seems like a mentor in in, in yeah. In my I mind. would I would say that she I, I joke that she's my work mom. So uh, uh, I think she jokes that you're her work son. Yeah. So so Maria doesn't have any kids, which yeah. makes that uh, you know <laughs> less weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's uh, she's somebody that I I met immediately the the. Um, uh, well, the next day, I guess, after I left Sun Life, yeah. so in 2005, 
and I phoned the office because you, you need to run your business through an MGA as a broker. Uh, and so I phoned their office. I was referred to them by um, one of the uh, wholesalers. For MGA stands for? Uh, managed General Agency. Okay. Uh, so I phoned that office and um, I spoke to Maria. She was the brokerage manager. And uh, it was a Friday morning, afternoon. I can't remember yeah. exactly. And, and I... Uh, um, I wanted to, to meet them on a Saturday. I oh, thought yeah, I was yeah, a bit yeah. nuts, right? Yeah, because yeah. we don't work on Saturday. I go, well, I need to figure this out because I need a home, right? <laughs> Immediately. So I'm kind of interviewing. I've got rent wanna... to pay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Maria's like, well, I, I'm not going to meet you, whatever, right? And, but her, her boss at the time, uh, the owner of the company, came sure. and met me on the Saturday yeah. downtown. At that time, I was living in Port Moody. Uh, so I went and met her downtown and, and you know, signed up with with at that time it was uh, called uh, financial management and financial management was purchased by PPI solutions couldn't tell you what year but a few years later uh, and then I just started to build that relationship with Maria she kind of uh, I guess took me under her wing and supported my growth and mm -hmm. and um, really was uh, was a cheerleader and, and an advocate and a supporter uh, and still is and, and she pushed me a lot to um, to, to further my education in the financial landscape uh, and to support my business. And I think really she, she just saw something that she wanted to be um, uh, a part of. And, and so did I. I really enjoyed having her as, as, a, as a, somebody to lean on and, and support me. So You kind of great. found her quite sort of serendipitously. How important do you think it is to have, um, have people like that in your life? Yeah, I and mean... And what has it sort of meant to you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's it's mandatory to have those fans and those advocates and those mm -hmm. people that that really um, are your cheerleaders, you know. And um, you know, a good example I did I finished my my CFP, which is a certified financial planner, which I'm like I don't really need it when I when I really first did it. And now our focus is on fee for service, high level planning, and there's no way I could do that without certified financial planner yeah. designation, which is you know that higher level designation in financial planning. Um, and, you know, seven, eight years ago, or we were focused on life insurance and mutual funds. Not so much higher level planning, right? Uh, I wouldn't have done that without Maria. I, I actually mm -hmm. almost didn't even write the test. She's like, you got to write the test and, and do it. So, <laughs> uh, CLU, same, Chartered Life Underwriter, another designation that she's basically, you know, pushed me to do. And, and, and just kind of always believed in me to, to achieve really great things and, and that push to, to you know, know that, that that I have that person that uh, that really does believe in you and supports you and, and knows that, that you can do it kind of thing. She mentioned um, that one of, one of the, the big things or the, the real difference makers that, that she's observed during the time that, um, that she's got to know you was the strategic coaching. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I, she wasn't able to really elaborate too much on it, but I'm super, super curious about it. Yeah, so Strategic Coach uh, is a, an entrepreneurial uh, business coaching program. So okay. I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate of having a coach for, for everything. As you know, uh, right now I'm also doing a coaching program for speaking, to do more speaking. With uh, uh, Lucas, yeah. With Lucas Matillo, yeah. yeah, who's been phenomenally helpful with, with speaking. We had him on the show uh, three episodes ago, four episodes, oh, did something you? like that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's been great. Um, but but just having, again, that, that, that person to guide you and help you and support mm -hmm. you. But... Uh, uh, strategic Coach, um, so I joined Strategic Coach in 2013, I believe it was. No, it might have been 12. 12 or 13. 
And uh, where I was at, I was about I was flat for about about three years in growth, and I had a part-time. Where assistant. were you at at that that sort of point? Just to sort of create a benchmark here. Uh, Revenue-wise, yeah, revenue-wise. Yeah, our company, our company was doing between two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand in okay. revenue year over year, uh, and we had what coach calls reached a, a ceiling of complexity. So mm-hmm. I basically I didn't know how to grow. I was working like I don't know sixty, seventy, eighty hours a week. I was constantly busy. Uh, I oh, micromanaged I everything. I'm totally at a ceiling of complexity. Yeah, I know for sure. <laughs> I need to learn more. Tell me more. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, and it was just one of those things where I, I truly didn't know how to, to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I was at a conference in uh, Philadelphia at the time yeah. uh, called MDRT, which is the Million Dollar Roundtable, which is a, a, a global financial planning conference. Um, and I, I met an individual named Michelle Hoskin who was a, a consultant um, that worked with financial planners. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I had about $40,000 in, in revenue in the company and, and as as you know, like that that number, that two fifty three hundred, as you know, your expenses are high. You're not you're not earning a ton of money really when you yeah, yeah, when yeah. you pay for everything, your office and your expenses sure, and, sure. and all the other stuff. Uh, you're not struggling, but you're not you know. So at that point, uh, I hired Michelle as a consultant and flew her from the UK to do an overhaul in our business, and I joined Strategic Coach. and The, the total bill was about thirty five thousand dollars. And I remember talking to my mom on the phone and telling her about it. And she, she hung up on me and said, what if, what if things go, she was crying. And she said, what if things go sideways? What if things don't work out? And I'm, you know. Uh, I've had these conversations with like Lucas so many times where he's got this big ticket item and yeah. he, he just doesn't know whether he's going to pull the trigger on it. And yeah. I hear that a lot. But you did it. So I did. I spent the money, which was uh, at that time in my, my career, was, it was a lot of money, right? Yeah, it was a man. huge investment. It was essentially, you know, that that savings that I built up for a couple of years. Uh, so spent that money, uh, brought Michelle over. She did an overhaul on the business and then joined Strategic Coach. And um, our business has grown 600% since, over 600% actually since that that time. So, um, and and really the, the whole course is built around delegation, mm-hmm. unique ability, which is focusing on what you do well and delegating the rest uh, and building what they call a self-managed company, which allows the company to run while you're not there, um, and value creation. So how can you create more value in the world? How can you create more value for your team? How can you create more value for your clients? Um, and the revenue from creating that value will intrinsically come. So it's not a transactional type structure where you need this product, I'm gonna get paid to sell you this product. It's we're gonna create so much value that uh, you know that's where that internal structure comes from. Yeah. And then the products are just byproducts of, of that value creation. So. Uh, it's a phenomenal course. I've just switched to the 10 times program. Does that um, mean 10 times? You mean 10 so, times a year? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so Dan Sullivan is... Oh, yeah, um, times, I know what you're talking about. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so Dan Sullivan coaches the 10 times program, which he's the, he's the, um, uh, the, the director, the, the CEO. He, sure. he runs Strategic Coach. So that program's with Dan. Uh, that program's $25,000 a year. And uh, so that one's in Toronto. So I got to go to Toronto four times a year. And that is the next level up of building a self-multiplying company. So um, really the, the, manage, the self-managed company is built, it's running itself. Now how do we scale uh, at a higher level and make sure that you know, you're, you're essentially changing as many lives as you can and helping as many people as you can as opposed to you know, one at a time. I've got one more question for you. These, these coaching programs, you know, 
I mean, even even for you now, I'm sure saying 35 grand, that's a lot of money, right? Even, Absolutely. you know, 10, 15, 20 grand, that's still a lot of money because you know exactly what you had to do to, to earn that or how far you've had to come to be able to spend that kind of money. How do people wrap their, how do you recommend people or how do you wrap your head around that? How did you wrap your head around that when you first, you know, shelled out that kind of cash? How, how do you recommend people to do that? Yeah, there's two twofold uh, with that one. One is, is you must look at it as an investment. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we sit down with clients all the time that say, you know, I have X amount of dollars. It doesn't matter what the number is. I have a business opportunity here and I have, or I can put the money and invest it with you. 99, I won't say 100 because there always is different cases, but almost 100% of the time I will recommend that that client invest in their business. And the reason being is because they're investing in themselves, they're investing yeah. in what they know. And, and if you really look at it as an investment instead of a cost, then it's a mindset type structure, right? So if you have 50 grand and you can invest it in your business to grow your business to earn 200 grand, that's a heck of a lot more than you're going to earn in a mutual fund making 6% sure, sure. or 8%. I can't beat a, a, that type of structure. It's, uh, yeah. um, now, I mean, you have to have balance and it's a bigger picture conversation, but looking at that as an investment is definitely uh, you know, the number one uh, piece there. That, that how, do you, how do you take action, though? For a lot of people, they'll go out and they'll go to a conference or they'll um, read a book, and I, these aren't very good comparables, but... You know, they, they, they take in inputs, right? They learn, right? And they're good at learning, but where they fall is, is taking action. Do you find that these coaching yeah. programs sort of push you to take action, or does that still need to be something that you, you, you kind of have to do on your own, and how, and how do you get there? Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, you know, we deal with it with clients all the time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... Um, analysis paralysis and, sure. and you know that um, that bigger picture you know is this the right coaching program or is, is there other ones that are better or is there you know all of those questions come into play um, but I think for me the biggest thing is just just the trust in the bigger picture and and focus on the end goal so having that clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish and what you're really trying to do um, and what are the tools and what are the programs and what are the people that speak towards that mm -hmm. so um, having those people on your side and having those those programs on your side I think when they come across and they there's alignment there and and what they're trying to do is similar to what I'm trying to do uh, same with clients right then then it, yeah, the answer is always sense. yes right if there's something where I'm trying to do this but does this really align or, or correspond with our, the bigger picture goal whether it's 10 years or five yeah. years or that might not be the best fit so that's how I make the decisions uh, is it a perfect science I mean you know, there's always, there's things on the shelf still in my office that I want to do that I haven't got to yet. But um, uh, the second thing to that is delegation. So having a team to support you with things that you're not very good at. Uh, we've just recently started outsourcing things to third-party um, uh, virtual assistant companies mm -hmm. that has been, uh, we're just starting, so I, I can't give you too much feedback on that. But uh, uh, that's another area of, of uh uh, allowing you to delegate those things that you're not good at because really we're not good at very many things and, mm -hmm. and Embracing that for me was important because I thought I was good at everything until I did coach <laughs> and realized I was you're good, good at, none at of a it. lot of things <laughs> Well, I think um, I think I mean I Quite honestly, I have like a million other questions, but it, with the beautiful thing about these interviews is it and I think I'm getting a little bit better at it is 
I'm just so freaking curious about the people that I bring in, so I don't really have to rely too much on the questions because it's, it just sort of rolls with it. So I appreciate yeah. you making that so easy for me. At the end of the um, sort of interview, I like to give you an opportunity to do just sort of a quick plug. Where can people find out more about you, website, um, anything like that? And if you want to uh, go ahead and do that, I, I'm sure people would appreciate it. Yeah, we're we're actually in the again in the process of a full rebrand, so um, we are we will have that transition done hopefully by the end of September. Uh, but currently, you can you can find us at uh, jrfin.com, so jrfin.com, uh, short for JR Financial. Uh, there's a contact at the bottom of the page, so feel free to to shoot us an email, ask us any questions and uh, happy to, to see if there's a good fit to work with us. Do you have any socials or any sort of, are you active on social media or anything like that? I'm not, I don't no. have Facebook. Uh, I, I do that. have a Twitter it account. It was harder to research you. Yeah, but you haven't tweeted in like, the, the, <laughs> you haven't tweeted forever, so there, it was hard to research uh, yeah. you. Uh, I have a LinkedIn account. So okay. yeah, LinkedIn is another one. Uh, cool. But um, yeah, our website would definitely be uh, the, best, the best fit and, and uh, Facebook, Instagram, don't LinkedIn. have them. All right, cool. Well, it's no wonder you're so successful. You don't have all these other things distracting you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Really appreciate it. If you have any, um, if you have any questions for Jay, have any questions for me, leave them in the comment section. If you enjoyed um, this 45 minutes hour that you've spent with us, let us know. We would certainly appreciate that. Um, thank you. Have a wonderful day.